If you're a visitor or guest this uh, guest this Easter Sunday, we are really, really glad you're here. Um, uh, later on after the service, uh, you are certainly welcome to join us for some refreshment outside at the tent event um, that we're having out there. And uh, I just want to recognize, too, that a ton of people took, put a ton of work into Good Friday service, this day, Easter service, outside with the tent event, all these decorations. There's a lot of people who spend a lot of time, effort, and energy on this, and we're grateful because it makes, I know I'm grateful because it makes my job easy. We, they set the stage and I just get to participate in it. And I would like us to give God praise for a group of people who are willing to work hard to serve all of us. So we're walking, we're actually finishing, um, for those of you who are guests, we're actually finishing a series and we're finishing it up by reading the end of the Gospel of Mark. We've gone through the past couple months, we've gone through the entire Gospel of Mark and of course on Easter Sunday it's fitting that we would end with this story of the resurrection that's at the end of the Gospel of Mark, and we're glad that all of us get to participate that. And that it's, going through the Gospel of Mark has been a huge blessing for me. I've done a lot of learning and growing myself as a preacher and as a as a student of God's Word. I hope you've experienced that. Next week, we actually continue to be students of God's Word as we explore for the next several weeks, couple months, um, as we explore the Psalms, and we're thinking of God's uh, hymn book or God's prayer book for us, which the Psalms are. There's so many prayers there. There's so many prayers in different situations, different experiences, different challenges, different feelings uh, that we go through. There's so much for us to learn there. And so we're going to spend some time exploring some of the Psalms, Pastor Nick and I, in teaching and in, in, in leading you. And we hope that you can experience some of God's blessing and presence in that, just as we experience God's blessing and presence in his word this morning. If you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, right at the end of the Gospel, we're going to read there. And before we spend time in God's word, let's pray for God's blessing and presence on our time. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word to uh, give light and life, hope, encouragement, learning. Lord, I know that there are people here who love your word and chew on it every day and live in it and are grateful for what it teaches them. And they're coming really hungry. And there are other people who are coming hungry for other reasons. Hungry because they don't know, they don't understand, they're, they're not familiar, and they just know that they're here because they're, they, need, they want something more, something more than what this life offers. We know, Lord, that there are people here who are confused. They've heard lots of stories and lots of ideas about what is right and what is truth and, and what is good, and they're here today trying to explore what does it mean when we think about Jesus and that truth for my life. I pray, Lord, that you meet us all where we are and give us what we need. Speak to our hearts and our minds in ways that we can understand. Speak, Lord, through me. May I disappear. May you show up so that truly, Lord, what words we hear are yours to our hearts. We pray these things in Christ. Amen. How many of you watched um, the perhaps one of the greater television series of all time, Seinfeld. Okay, especially the older crowd, you're going to be Seinfeld folks, right? 
And if you watch Seinfeld, I mean, there's so many different things that come out of Seinfeld that like are in our common culture. Like all you need to do is say certain phrases. Like if I say serenity now, then immediately some of you think of that particular Seinfeld episode. Or if we during Christmas time talk about Festivus for the rest of us, it's in our common culture. You know, it's a, it's a powerful, powerful TV series about uh, really, the whole series, the whole plot line was it was about nothing. And yet it became as popular as it did. Well, if you watched Seinfeld and you watched all the way to the end. You watched the final episode. My guess is that you were like me. You watched the final episode, the final screen cut, the final scene, the final words, and said, well, that was stupid. Because the ending of the whole series of Seinfeld, in my humble opinion, is one of those series that ends and you're like, what just happened? Like, are you kidding me? All this great stuff. I mean, hundreds of episodes of awesome, hilarious bits, and we end with this? And I'm not going to spoil it for you because I know some of you are like Netflix freaks and you're going to go home now and watch like the entire series of Seinfeld before like tomorrow at 2.30 because you're crazy. But... I don't want to spoil it for you, but you get to the final episode and you're just like, really? Great story, great stuff, great characters. And we end with this. It's interesting because if you look at the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark is that sort of kind of ending. It's the weirdest ending of all the Gospels. Now, maybe in your Bibles, in fact, I know in your pew Bibles, it says this. If you look right at the end of the text that we're reading this morning, Mark chapter 16, we're going to end at verse 8. It says this probably in your Bibles immediately following that, right? It says, the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. Does it say that? Okay, if it says that, here's what that simply means. It simply means that there are very, very old old manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark that they have translated from. And the very earliest of those, actually it has, it doesn't have a number. It's not number one. It's actually the Hebrew letter Aleph. And that's because it's the very first one. That one doesn't have the Gospel of Mark in it. And it's the first manuscript and the first couple manuscripts don't have the end of the chapter So you have to wonder, was that an addition afterwards? Was that something that Mark added afterwards? So the ending of the Gospel of Mark, as we can understand it from the earliest manuscripts, is simply this sentence. He said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Sort of weird ending. Had the resurrection of Jesus. And that's where we end. But before we get to the ending, let's start at the beginning of the section and learn a little bit more why that ending is important. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 together from Mark 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Now, there's stuff there, we'll get to it, but I want to start actually with something that's there but not there. 
You see those first five words, it says, when the Sabbath was over. If you look back a sentence, you're going to read this. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. That's Friday. So we get the picture of Friday at the end of chapter 15. And then we get when the Sabbath was over, Sunday. We have Saturday in between. And we hear nothing about Saturday, right? Nothing. It's just a jump. And that Saturday is actually really important. Not because what God is trying to teach us in his word, but for how we understand Mary and Mary and Salome and how they come to the story on Sunday. What, what does that Saturday look like for them? Well, let me try to help you understand maybe how it felt. Do you remember how you felt if you were alive September 12th, 2001? Do you remember how you felt the day after your dad died? Do you remember how you felt the day after your mom died, your spouse died, your child died? Do you remember how you felt the day after you got the diagnosis? Do you remember how you felt the day after you were asked for the divorce? It's that sort of place. It's that sort of feeling. It's that sort of context that Saturday is. And we know nothing really about the events or the activities of Saturday, but I certainly think that Mary, Mary, and Salome were in that place of just gut-wrenching pain. I mean, these ladies were committed to Jesus. How do we know that? How do we know they were committed to Jesus? Well, look, in verse uh, 40 of chapter 15, here's what we read there. Verse 40 says this. Some women were watching from a distance when Jesus was on the cross. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and the younger and Joseph, and Salome. These ladies are committed enough to watch an execution of someone they care about. They watch the words of the cross. They watch the pain. They watch the cry out. And they watch the, it is finished. They also do something that not many others do. Remember, the disciples fled. But these ladies in verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid, so much so that they even followed the body to the tomb. The reason why they knew where they were going on Easter Sunday is because they'd watched. These folks were committed. These ladies that were bought in. So that's Saturday. That's a day of pain. See, it's funny because we get done with like a Good Friday service. And maybe you're like me, you're already starting to get juiced up because you know what today is, right? Today is color. Friday's black. Today is joy. Friday is lament. Today is life, handshakes. He is risen. Friday is silence and the pain of a man nailed to a cross. Those ladies are living in the Friday stuff because they didn't know that Sunday was coming. They didn't know that this part of the story was going to happen the way that it did. They came to this, this tomb. Actually, they came with something. 
They brought it with them. It's not the spices, but they brought something with them that, that sort of shapes the story. They brought with them human expectation. A human expectation that the body that had been laid there that they'd watched on Friday would still be there on Sunday, right? I mean, that's the expectation. It's a dead person. There's not a one of us who've ever gone up to the cemetery up here for a funeral on a graveside and put a tomb into the ground, watched someone put a tomb in the ground and thought the next day when we came back that it was going to be open. We never thought that, did we? Because we have that human expectation. It makes sense. Someone dies, they get buried, and they stay there. These women were all coming with that level of expectation. But they were doing something that was unnecessary. Right? And they knew it was. Well, they knew it was if they had been listening. Chapter 14, verse 8. Turn real quick. Chapter 14, verse 8 says this. It says, it talks about this woman who had come to Jesus with the meal. And he had been eating. And this woman came to the meal. And she took perfume and she anointed his feet and then Jesus is defending her he says these words in verse 8 she did what she could she poured perfume on my body beforehand why to prepare for my burial why did Mary Mary and Salome come to the tomb to anoint Jesus but he'd already been anointed he was already covered Jesus had already said, you don't have to worry about that. He had already foreshadowed that something was extraordinary was going to happen today. But like many others, including the rest of the disciples, these ladies hadn't listened very well. They hadn't quite figured it out. They'd misunderstood. Now the story continues in verse 16, or chapter 16. But when they looked up, They saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a right robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Now, you hear that, right? You hear that? They were alarmed. They were alarmed, okay? Why? Why were they alarmed? Well, maybe they were alarmed because they thought someone had stolen the body, right? Maybe, maybe someone had come and rolled the stone away and stolen the body so there was no one to adorn. Maybe they were alarmed because they had the wrong address. They were at the wrong grave. I mean, if the stone is rolled away and there's no body and you're coming a stone there with a body, you're thinking to yourself, did we watch pretty good on Friday night? Maybe we, got, maybe we need to go two doors left. Or maybe they were alarmed because someone was there to greet them. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember, and anybody remember flannel graphs for Sunday school, right? Those flannel things that Sunday school, they would illustrate the stories. And you remember Easter Sunday. I remember Easter Sunday. And you had this, this, this sort of hill, and in the side of the hill was a hole. And the, the, the women were coming to see the, the tomb. And, you, you know, the, the, the teacher would have the stone in front, but then the stone would be rolled away. And Jesus, where did they put the guy? Where did they put the guy in the flannel graph? If you remember, he was outside, right? He was outside the tomb. But what do we read here? What do we read here in chapter 16? It says this, as they entered 
the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. So maybe they were alarmed because there was somebody there. And maybe at first glance, a person dressed in dazzling white was somebody like, I don't know, the person they were coming to anoint. Perhaps they thought it was Jesus. I'm sure because it was a young man and I'm sure they figured it out pretty quick. But there's a lot of reasons here why these ladies might be alarmed. But all of them point to one misunderstanding they have when they come. They're coming with an expectation that this thing is supposed to look a certain way. Tomb, rock in front of it. Tomb, body in it. Tomb, no one else except the body. We're going to do our job and live into the anointing. They weren't ready for the fact that today of all days, God had something absolutely beyond expectation. Something that they could never believe or imagine or understand. And I think that has something to say to our lives. Because so often... We live into a level of human expectation about how we face the world that we live in. We, 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 we go in with sort of a, a rational understanding of how we work, right? We wake up in the morning. If you're someone who has a job, you go to work. If you work hard, you do well. If you don't work hard and you make mistakes, you don't do well. Or maybe you're someone who is at home taking care of your family. If you take care of your family well and love your kids and care for your kids and do all the right things, your kids grow up to be healthy. We live with these sort of human understandings, human expectations of how this goes. If you're a student, you get up in the morning, you don't want to, but you go to school, you don't want to. You work hard and you get good grades and you get successful and you do okay. We, we all live into that. But God is a God who lives into something else. And sometimes that rattles us. This, this week I sat with a man in my office. And you can pray for this man. I'm not going to tell you his name. But he's a man I've talked to a couple times now. And he is right on the cusp of faith, of believing in Jesus. He is right in that place where he is, he is ready to say, I am, I'm, I'm in. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to give him my life. He's got a lot going on. He's been, has a diagnosis in his life that is actually pretty terminal. He has um, some challenges in his life from his history. He's not an old, a young man. He's an old man. He's recently had a very significant death in his life that has caused him a great deal of pain. And he said to me, he said, I've always put aside God in my life. I've always found a good reason to reject every religion out there. He said, Jehovah's Witnesses, I rejected because of this. Mormons, I rejected because of this. Islam, I rejected because of this. Christianity, Catholicism, he named a whole bunch of different denominations and ideas about Christian faith. And he said, I rejected them because of this. For the simple reason that when I looked at them and I came at them with a mind to think and looked at them, analyzed them, and critiqued them, I could always say, this is foolish. This is not something I'm going to buy into because it doesn't meet my human expectation or understanding. He said, the problem is that I have right now is that I'm hurting too much, that there's nothing else that can fix it. 
There's too much pain. There's too much loss. There's too much loneliness. There's too much isolation. There's too much fear that I can't fix it any other way in my own strength. I need something more. That's why I say he's right there. Please pray for him. That he might know Christ. Because we come at life with that level of human expectation and understanding. These women did too, but they get confronted with this extraordinary, supernatural, spiritual truth. And it begins in verse 6. The speech of the young man. Don't be alarmed, he says. (laughs) One of the understatements of all of Scripture, right? You go to a tomb looking for a body, you see no body, and there's this white guy there, like blazing white guy, and he says to you, don't be afraid. Yeah, you're terrified. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now, if you look at the speech clearly, if you look at the speech in detail, you see it does a couple things. First of all, it tells them they have the right address. That's important. It says, you are looking here in this tomb, this space for who? Jesus is a Nazarene. This is the space. You're not at the wrong door, but he's not here. And it also says what happened. He is risen. It gives them that truth. Those three powerful, powerful words that change the uh, human expectation into an extraordinary reality. He is risen. He was dead. He was gone. It was over. But he's back. He's risen. And in that speech, the women are not just confronted with the truth. They're told what they can do with the truth, right? He says to them, he gives them a commission. These are the first evangelists. These are the first people who carry this incredible truth of Jesus being alive. And he says, go and tell everybody else. Go share the truth of what you have seen here. Go tell them that cross which is empty is likened to the tomb which is now empty too. And in those two empty, horrible, painful places, them being empty gives you life and gives you hope and gives you an eternity that you can now share with the world around you. He says, you can carry that story. Please go and tell and share the truth. And then we read this in verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They told everyone that they saw the truth of the resurrection that they might have hope. Oh, um... You must have a different Bible. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. What about verse 7? Verse 7 says, go and tell. Go and share. Go tell the truth to the world. Go and tell the truth of what you have seen. Go share the story. 
And these women, I mean, something extraordinary has happened. They've just been impacted by the greatest and most incredible event in all of history. Certainly, they're going to go out and share the story. I mean, we look at that and we say, how foolish are they? You've got the greatest truth ever. Why would you share it? Or why wouldn't you share it? How many of you, when you came to church this morning, were greeted with words like, He is risen, or Happy Easter? Anyone? I was, and I greeted a couple of people that way. And it's, it's easy to do today, right? I mean, Easter is the He is risen day. Everyone knows in church that if you're going to share what Easter is about, you're going to do it. He is risen day. He is, this is Easter day. Is that the greatest truth that can possibly be imagined? That he is risen? So maybe, maybe, would it be good maybe to share it more than just Easter? I have an idea. We picked a a, a date in the first service. So if you wanted a different date, you missed it. You should have come to first service. We picked a date in first service together. And the date is simply this. It's May 23. Let me tell you what happens on May 23. On May 23, when you go into Stater Brothers and someone asks you if you need bags, if you got to buy a bag or if you brought your bag with you, you say, no, I brought my bags because I care for the earth. And by the way, he is risen. May 23 is the day we're going to do that, all right? If you go into McDonald's, which you shouldn't because it's bad for you, but if you do go to McDonald's and they ask you, do you want fries with that? You say no because they're bad for me. And by the way, he is risen indeed. And when you're in your classroom and when you're in your workplace and when you greet your neighbors and when you meet the mailman and when the UPS person comes to your door and when you wake up in the morning and look into the beautiful face of your wife or the not so beautiful face of your husband, then you say to them, he is risen. May 23 is that day. Because it's the most incredible truth that we've ever known, right? It is life-altering reality. It is beyond a human expectation. So on May 23, we're all going to do it, right? And we're going to expect that when we do it, everyone's going to be like, dude, that's awesome. I'm totally down. Right? That's what the Stater Brothers cashiers are going to do when we say, they ask us about bags and we say, no, he is risen. Is that what's going to happen? They're going to look at us like we're crazy. Because we're afraid to share the truth. Just like Mary and Mary and Salome. They had just been given the most amazing truth that changes all of reality forever. And they were afraid to speak of it with every word that came out of their mouth, with every bit of energy that they had. Is there a greater truth that Christ is risen from the dead? I don't believe so. And if that's the greatest truth, and he has, has called me, commissioned me, just like Mary, Mary, and Salome, to go out and speak of the truth of what I have seen to the world that so desperately needs to hear it. 
then what am I afraid of? What are we afraid of? Do you believe that Christ himself is the most powerful redeemer and creator and God that you can possibly imagine? Do you believe that? Do we believe that? Then what are we afraid of? It's this great challenge that these women lead us with. Because we want to look at them and we want to say, come on, have courage. Come on, tell the story. Come on, speak it with every breath. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Go out and tell the story to everyone. The challenge is is that we're just like them. And since we're just like them, then we need to live into the truth that we need that power in our life to to equip us to go out and live it and share it and speak it. And through that, see Christ change and transform the world that we live in. I need that. I'm in places just like you where my fear is that if I say it, I'm going to be crazy. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be a fool. And yet, it's the most powerful truth that the world could ever know. I can't hold it in. Friends, as you go into live, as you go from this place living into the truth of Easter today, may that truth not be just a truth that you live into with great joy and love for one another today. May it be a truth that permeates and soaks into every part of your life so that all of your world, all of your time, all of your days are days where you go and tell of the wonderful things that you have seen. Would you pray with me? Living God, hope of the world in Jesus Christ, we have this great truth, powerful truth, incredible truth that changes our reality, goes beyond a human expectation into something extraordinary, something unexpected, something that could never be anticipated in any one of our hearts and minds, but it's a gift that you have given to us. And now, Lord, we reach out with our hands and our hearts and our minds to receive it. Lord, use that truth to equip us to go out from this place, living into the truth of he is risen. A life-altering truth for us, but also a a world-transforming truth. A truth that by, Lord, our words, our lives, our actions, by going and telling of what we have seen, that this world might be changed around us. That love might grow, light might grow, that your kingdom might grow. And that, Lord, you grow in us too. It's work that you and you alone can do through the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask you to do it today. In Jesus' name, amen.